Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. For your weekly dose of Wayne's Comics. Welcome to episode 479 of the Wayne's Comics Podcast. Thanks so much for listening. This week, it's the return of Andy Schmidt from Comics Experience. He's got a new book out from DC called Crime Syndicate, and longtime fans of DC will recognize that group. It's one of my favorite new books that DC is putting out, and it's dealing with Owlman and Ultraman and all the rest of the group. He's taking a new approach, and we talk about that as well as some other good things. It's always a fun conversation with Andy, and we do get into some other areas that are related, so I'm sure you're going to enjoy what he's got to say. There's a lot to get to in this episode, so let's get on with the show. It's always a pleasure to talk with Andy Schmidt from Comics Experience, who has a lot of wonderful things going on. And he's also doing one of my very favorite books that's out right now from D.C. called Crime Syndicate. Welcome to Earth 3 kinds of good things. How you doing, Andy? Uh, I'm doing pretty well, Wayne. Thanks. Happy to be it's, on the show. It's good to talk with you as always. I <laughs> So you're still the – let's see. I want to make sure I get this right. The uh, The president and the publisher of Comics Experience, right? Uh, yeah, that's right. Um, comics Experience is the comics education platform. We've been online for over a decade uh, now. So we teach writing, art, coloring, lettering. Uh, we have a Kickstarter class. We've got, uh, yeah, we, we got you covered. Pretty much whatever you want to do in comics. And sort of our motto, uh, not really a motto, but our, our, our take on things is, is that uh, we get, we're kind but honest. So we will give you honest feedback, but we will do so in a professional and courteous manner. Um, and that's what we expect from, you know, folks that are in our courses or in our workshop, that kind of thing. Um, but we do, we do a ton of stuff now. We do, um, we also do creative services. So if somebody's got a script and, and, you know, I mean, the, the idea of, of, Hey, I wrote this script and that was a lot of work and I, but I have this script and I want to make it into a comic. And then and what happens to a lot of folks is then they realize, Oh my God, I have all this other stuff. I now I have to find an artist, colorist, letterer. I have to manage a team. I got to figure out how the contracts work. I got to hire a lawyer, all that stuff. And so we actually started a, about two years ago, we started creative services where, and we do it for companies and we do it for individuals where they've got a, you know, they've got a script or they got a project they want to do. They can come to us and, and we'll, we'll pull our resources, pull, pull our con contacts and that sort of stuff and, and put projects together for folks. So yeah, we're constantly doing stuff and we're publishing. We've had our, our joint venture with SourcePoint Press for the last couple of years and we've got some pretty big announcements uh, coming up uh, for publishing too, but I can't talk about that just yet. Oh yes, yeah. it's, it's the, uh, it's, uh, it's the, way the good it news is, is as long as you've got something that you can't talk about, that's a good thing. Right. That's the, that's the key, right? Even if you, even if there's nothing there, just say, I have this big stuff coming. I can't talk about it yet. Oh <laughs> yeah. This one I can't talk about. Yeah. Um, yeah. And you know, I started that after I left Marvel in 2007 and it has been, uh, it has been an actual, absolute like joy and pleasure to do. I still teach um, the intro to writing class. Cause I just, I love working with new 
people new to the medium or new to like writing their first script. I think it's, it's just, it's super fun, but yeah, we, we get down to business real fast. We don't waste your time in the classes. Right. Well, if, if you could tell a writer, a brand new writer, anything, what would you like them to know? Um, I think the the key thing, and this sounds really simple and straightforward, but it's amazing how many writers don't do it, is know your story. And and often, usually, when I'm in my intro writing class on the first night, I ask people what a story is. Like, how do you identify a story? What are the core components of a story? And um, very, very rarely does anybody actually get get the answer right, which is which is pretty pretty interesting. But you have to know. You have to know what the story is in order to be able to tell it, which seems very like fundamental, and it is very fundamental, but it's amazing how many people start with, well, I have this idea for a character, or I have this idea for this situation, or I have this idea for this thing, and then they just think it'll just magically become a story, but a story actually has to do very specific things. Yes. I, well, I used to be in a group of people that used to write fan films scripts and we were writing about star trek of course what else would a fan film be about and one of our friends came to us and said hey i got a great idea for a fan film what's that he says the doctor cures the phage and if you know much about voyager and we said and you know what happens next i mean he cures the phage then what (laughs) so I, i can understand where you're coming from people think an idea equals story which it doesn't always right so yeah is that the start of your story or is that the end of your story yeah, well, that's yeah. we had to ask her. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. yeah. What, what's going on? You know, what, what do you do from there? Is, is Voyager your Star Trek of choice? Because I don't think I hear anybody that says that. Not that I know people that like hate Voyager, but you know, usually it's Next Generation or it's original series. You know? It's actually my very favorite Star Trek is Deep Space Nine. Okay, so that's the other one. It seems to me that a lot of the the big Star Trek fans. So I used to. I don't know if you do this, but I used to edit the Star Trek comics for IDW for like oh, ten cool. minutes, um, <laughs> and. Uh, and I happened to be on there at a pretty interesting time because it was right before the Star Trek 11, as I call it, uh, came out, the J.J. Abrams movie. So I wound up editing the tie-in for that. So I wound up working fairly closely with some, some folks at Bad Robot with that. But, you know, I was still doing all the other you know, all the other books as well. And I remember in, like, my first emails with, with Paramount when they would they would – reference TOS, which I'd be like, what's TOS? What are, what are we talking about? What is TOS? Is that TOSK? What is that yeah, TOSK? No, oh, the original series. Okay. Yeah. yeah, I always knew TNG. Like, that one was pretty easy. And DS9, obviously. But yeah, it's 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 interesting how, like, the, they each have their own, you know, real real big sort of fan bases. Except for Enterprise. Nobody's seen... Enterprise doesn't get a lot of love from... Like, it's it, it doesn't seem to be many people's first choice. I'll put it that way. Right, right. It has fans, but uh, yeah. See, if I had to structure them, I would go DS9, Classic Trek, Voyager, um, Enterprise, and my least favorite one, usually people's most favorite one, is Next Generation. Wow, yeah. That, yeah, TNG is pretty far down on your list. There. What do you feel... Okay, let's... Like I'm going to interview you. That's going to be the thing. <laughs> what about uh, what about uh, uh, Discovery? I I enjoy Discovery. I, I I tend to find something good in every Star Trek. I even don't mind Lower Decks, which is probably one show I'd like to see real improvement on. The last couple of episodes are really good in the animated, but I I Discovery. Although I do have to say, the last episode I was disappointed in. Okay, I'm behind. I'm, I'm not caught up. I'm not caught. Oh, okay, well, I won't say. I'm, I'm only in season two. My brother just convinced me to watch it because I was like, I don't know. I need to watch another Star Trek. I have seen yeah. like five of them. But Picard, uh, I, would, but yeah. I didn't like Picard all that much. I have. To I, say could, was, I, I didn't get into Picard. I watched it was three slow, episodes. Slow, slow, slow. I was going. When is something going to happen here? And it finally, about episode six, things started to happen, and I was like, okay. Uh, it took a long time. It was a slow burn up till now. But, but you know, Star Trek, it's, it, I, I have this philosophy, though. If we want more Star Trek, we got to watch what they're giving us. If we don't watch it, what they'll do is say, hey, nobody's watching that anymore. Let's stop that. So I watch yeah, it all. I will say that I, I wasn't that into Discovery until about, you know, my, my, had, my older brother was like, you really, you really are going to like it, but you probably won't like the first, like, half or so of the first season. And he was right. I 
you know, there were some episodes here and there that I thought were pretty good, but it was really the end of the first season when they got into that alternate universe stuff. And then mm-hmm. now that I'm starting the second season, I think a lot of the casting changes that they made uh, were for the better of the show. Oh, yes. Nothing against the previous cast no. members. Um, I liked them, but I, these seem like more colorful, yeah. stronger characters. So. Can, you do know that the spinoffs coming out of the second season. Yeah, the Captain Pike. This is a yeah. random piece of trivia, but uh, Anson Mount, who plays Captain Pike, I went to college with him. Oh, really? Yeah, it's pretty funny. Oh, wow. Yeah. I, I, I had this thing online. I was always saying, I like Pike. Is what I would do all over the place. <laughs> I was trying, and, and the best part was when they picked it up and they made this thing happen. I mean, nobody was more surprised than they were, the, the actors. And yeah. I, I love that. I, I'm so happy because I love that character. I just he's a great I, character too. Yeah, the, the the idea of a captain who's doomed. Wow, I, that's great. I, I mean, I, I want to see that. I want to see what they're going to do. But anyway, all right, Star Trek. So I'm glad you got to do the Star Trek books. <laughs> yeah, you, that was fun. Obviously, obviously, get me going on Star Trek. That that's not hard to do because I'm a big Star Trek fan. So anyway, but the thing we really want to talk about is Crime Syndicate. Um. I'm kind of interested because, uh, uh, you know, you're in an interesting time at DC. Um, I'm hearing a little echo, by the way. Oh, uh, on my end? Yeah. I hear me echoing. Let me make a little note of myself here. Let's see if I can. Maybe I just need to turn down the volume in my headphones. Is that any better? Uh, let me see what I say. Yeah, it's better. Okay. Well, I just heard me again, though. Anyway, uh, I can edit this little part out. I'm not going to worry about it. But uh, the the interesting thing about – you know, DC's in a really interesting spot because now they have done this thing where basically anything goes. You get to do whatever you want largely, and, you know, you can do 40s Batman, 70s Batman. You can do everything, and now this is your chance to go where no crime syndicate has gone before <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and talk about their origin. So – Talk about this. How did this happen? And, and uh, you know, how did you approach this? Well, uh, I mean, me coming on board was a, was sort of a long process. I'd been talking with a couple of editors at DC, but Brian Cunningham, probably I was talking with him the most. Um, and we've been talking off and on for a couple of years. Um you know, I, you know, we were talking about comics experience and, you know, I don't, I don't know if we'll get into it, but, you know, I, ru- I run one or two other businesses as well. So, you know, pounding the pavement day after day to, to get writing work at Marvel and DC when I'm doing freelance work at other places. Like it's, it's, it's not the, it's not a very economic use of my time. Um, so, uh, but I, I love working with people that I really like to work with. And I, you know, I love these characters too. So like uh, getting a chance to work with one of those characters is always, um, is always something that, that, you know, I, I would definitely want to consider, you know, and see if I can fit it in my schedule if possible and that sort of thing. So Brian and I had wanted to work together for quite a while. And so he called me up one day, but we had also talked a lot about the types of projects that I was a good fit for because I do a lot of like intellectual property development work. I do a lot of consulting in the entertainment industry work. And so we had talked about these types of things. Like I, I didn't necessarily need to be on a, you know, or particularly want to be on like a major book at, at DC, like, like, because those always get tied into like other events and then it's just whatever. And it's just like, give me something that I can dig into. Maybe they're not that popular. Like that's really my bread and butter. It's what I was known for when I was an editor at Marvel was finding these, these, you know, diamonds in the rough, you know, and then, or, or putting a new, new twist or take on them, you know, with the creative teams that I would work with. And so we really talked about that. And so he called me up with crime syndicate. And then one of the first things he said was, we're going to be rebuilding earth three. Like, like it's going to be reborn and you could, you can kind of make it what, what you want. So if there are things you want to tweak and there's, you know, stuff like that, then, you know, that seems like what we've been talking about. Um, and it's not going to be tied into, you know, a, a big, you know, event where I got to be paying attention to, you know, a thousand other things. And, um, not that I'd mind paying attention on a thousand other things. Cause like I said, I am a big fan, but getting into these characters and then going, okay, well I get a chance to, to sort of modernize them was really kind of the take on it. It wasn't like I wanted to throw out what they were and that kind of thing. You know, the, the trick is always digging in and going, okay, what's, what do people really respond to? What's really core to these characters? 
and what can you update and modernize? And so, um, so that was sort of where it all started. And one of the things we discussed early on was, well, if you're going to redo Earth-3, nobody's ever done an origin story, and this seems like a good time to be able to do one. So the thing that appealed to me about doing the story in which they all – which the, the, the crime syndicate itself forms, and for people that don't know about the crime syndicate and Earth-3, Earth-3 is sort of the opposite of regular – DC universe. So it's essentially the, the, the get, right? The, the whole thing originally was it's basically the Justice League, except they're all evil, and the villains from our world are the heroes on Earth-3. So telling us the, the origin story of, like, how does an evil Justice League come together was really was really interesting. And another thing that I like is I like the puzzle work. Like, how does that work? Which, you know, if you just sort of start a story and they're together and they kind of rule the earth and whatever, then you just kind of buy into it, right? But the idea of, like, they weren't always together. They didn't know each other. They're all evil jerks. So how do they get along? Like, how does that work? What is the circumstance? You know, what is, what is the glue that holds them together? So we have six issues. In the first three issues, we tell you know, kind of a complete story arc. And in the back three issues, we tell a complete story arc, which, you know, we talked about that quite a bit amongst ourselves. And like, is that the way to go? Or should you just do one, you know, big storyline for six issues? And and there is an arc across the six. So the first three is sort of how they meet. And then the back three is why they stick together. Hmm. Um. You know, I mean, it's not so overt that like it's like you know nobody sits there and says you know we're going to stick together because of this. But if you actually read all six, like it, it tracks pretty well, I think. Uh, it, it, you know, thematically in that in that thing, and that was really fun because I had to sit down and you know once I was figuring out who these characters were individually, then it's you know then it's also figuring out well what who on these teams would form an alliance, why, and you know. You know, they're they're always going to backstab each other at some point, but there has to be a reason for them not to do it today, <laughs> right? Right. Um, so, uh, so that was that was sort of the core origin of forming of forming the story uh, around around that notion. And the other thing I you know that I, that I said to Brian in, in the initial pitch was, you know, if we do our jobs right at the end of this six issue, you're not going to be looking at Ultraman and thinking, oh, that's evil Superman and that's evil Batman and that's evil Wonder Woman. By the end of the six issues, you're going to want to hopefully hopefully if we did our jobs right, you're going to want to read more stories about Ultraman, about Owlman, about Superwoman and so on. And you, and you stop sort of thinking of them as the evil version of this other character. You know, that's sort of the, that's sort of the pie in the sky goal. Hopefully that will help for a large portion of the audience. I'm not going to kid myself and think that that will happen for everyone that reads it, but, um, but that's sort of the goal. Um, and so, you know, part of the fun of this too, because I love digging into old, old superhero comics was also as part of the DNA of this thing was figuring out like, well, what aspects of the origin of the justice league do we use that, you know, people who really, you know, love that older stuff will, will, you know, will, will connect with, but if you don't know that stuff, it's fine. Uh, it's not a problem. Um, so, you know, like the villain in the first arc, you know, the first issue is out already. The second issue is coming up soon. Um, you know, the villain in the first arc, since the issue one's already out, there's no spoilers. Also, he's on the cover, uh, is Starro, which was the original uh, the original villain that brought the Justice League together way back in the, whatever that was, the 60s? Yeah. Gosh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so, you know, there, there are some, there's some sort of Easter eggy sort of, you know, nods or whatever to things like that. Um, you know, so, you know, we took our time, we built it, uh, and, and then we... Uh, then we- <laughs> And now we're putting it out. <laughs> so yeah. comics, that's how comics get made. But that's it's right. been, but it's really fun. And that really is the type of project that, that for me is a lot of fun. And right before this, uh, right before Crime Syndicate came out, I was also part of the writing team on Generations Shattered and Forged, um, which was a very different project for DC. But, you know, we got to pluck characters out of time. So like, you know, getting to pluck Commandy and Booster Gold and Sinestro from when he was a Green Lantern and stuff like that's, that's the cat's PJs, as far as mm. I'm concerned. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, there's, there's a really cool line in uh, like a release, and it describes each character. It says a paranoid Titan, Ultraman, a narcissist, Superwoman, 
and I never know how to pronounce this word, a nihilist, nihilist. man, yeah, nihilist, nihilist okay. yeah. a broken moral compass, power ring, emerald knight, a sociopath, Johnny Quick, and a sadist, Atomica. Does the world stand a chance? Spoiler alert, no. No, it does not. <laughs> yeah. I thought that was, that was nicely written. I thought that was a good thing about that because, okay, I, you got to understand, I'm a Batman guy. Okay. So for me, Owlman is the one I'm interested. You did some really interesting changes to Owlman that I liked. And it's in the first issue, so I, I guess it's fair game. Yeah, yeah. Thomas Wayne is Owlman. So that wasn't me. Oh, that it wasn't. wasn't me. That that, is, that predates me. Um, and th- so it was it, one of the interesting things, and and you know this happens anytime you're working with any kind of you know corporation or somebody else that owns the intellectual property. Is one of the interesting things is you know at some point you know you can propose like here are the things I would change or whatever, and then they're going to come back with here are the things you're not changing. <laughs> you know, or it needs to be this, or it needs to be that, and uh, I don't think I I don't think I said it shouldn't be Thomas Wayne, but that, but I do remember them saying Owl Man is Thomas Wayne and me just being like, okay, that's fine. You know, it doesn't have to be Bruce. Whereas Ultraman is Clark Kent. Um, so that was one of the things that when I was digging in and doing the research on, on Crime Syndicate that I thought was really kind of intriguing is there didn't seem to be anything that said it's, you know, they are the same characters. So here's, here's a change that, that we did make with somebody's secret identity is I think I might actually be spoiling this. So here you go. Here's an exclusive, but Superwoman is Donna Troy. Really? Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. So, and, and I don't, you know, I mean, we call her Donna at some point. Like, I think we use her name, you know, a couple of times in the miniseries, but, but, uh, yeah. So we don't draw like a huge attention to it, but there is a line in there where like something bad is like about to happen. And hmm. she says, you know, like, you know, like instead of merciful Minerva, you know, like she would do in the seventies, she says like dear departed Diana is like hmm. her like exclamation. And so like, <sighs> we just we, like drop that little kernel in there it's like not only is she not diana but something happened to diana but we're not going to tell you what it is we just leave it we just leave it there for you because like ultraman for example he's been all different kinds he's been like a mob boss in 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 places he's been oh gosh he's been all different kinds of things The, the time i really loved ultraman most was in crisis when the planet's coming to an end and oh yeah like, and crisis number one like in the 80s yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that was my introduction to to the crime syndicate that was the first time i'd ever heard of them i'd ever read them i had no idea what was going on i was reading crisis on infinite or and i read that you know when it was coming out i was old enough for that um but i was you know i was maybe like 10 or something when that was coming out and uh i was like i was fascinated by them um but yeah all, they're great because they're villains but they clearly care about you know, I mean, they don't want the world to end, which is nice. But, um, but yeah, over time, all of these characters have been have evolved. Um, they're not always, you know, the same. You know, DC's, you know, done, you know, New Fifty Two or whatever, and then they wind up, you know, they be they get modified. And you know, what we're doing is frankly not all that different. We're modifying them again, um, and having a blast, you know, because. We have, you know, we have the advantage and whoever comes in after us will have, you know, the advantage again uh, of having all this material that's already been uh, published to, you know, to look at. I actually, you know, I've, I've said this a couple of times on Twitter that actually my, probably my guiding light, if I could say there's one crime syndicate story that, that, you know, I key into more than the others, which is not to say that I don't key into aspects of the others, is actually the animated film Crisis on Two Earths. Yes. Written by Dwayne McDuffie. Like, I I love it. I love the way that Dwayne wrote those characters. Um, You know, my Ultraman, like, his voice is based more off that Ultraman than than any of the others. But, you know, it's, it's funny you brought up the paranoid Titan and the narcissist and all that stuff, because that was actually part of my original pitch document was and part of you know, digging into their history and that stuff was, was going, okay, well, I don't just want to make them evil for evil's sake. What are their little, you know, what are their character flaws and how are they different from each other? And what is the, the perfect soup of people that are going to be horrible to work together? <laughs> <laughs> right. Like there's no way these guys should work together. And, it, and that's a lot of the fun. Um, uh, but I will say that that another aspect that came up, you know, very early on, and I th- and I did talk about this in my initial pitch too, was okay. So 
in the first arc, you know, Starro is not like a big, you know, talker, so to speak. You know, he's a big giant starfish. Um, uh, <laughs> really selling this book, aren't I? So they fight a giant starfish. Anyway, so, but the, but one of the reasons why Starro worked and why I wanted to do that nod to the original was because Starro is not like, doesn't have like complicated schemes and things, right? What, what Starro allowed me to do for those first three issues and allowed Kieran and the rest of the team to do for those first three issues was focus on the crime syndicate. Because we didn't have to spend a lot of time cutting away to Starro pontificating and sending soldiers out and explaining all kinds of stuff. It's an alien from outer space. He's here to do what he does. And now we can spend time with our, our core cast, which is really what I wanted to do. Um, you know, I want people to get invested in the crime syndicate characters, not whoever the villain is. So, um, or not as much as who the villain is. So, uh, so figuring out those dynamics, you know, early on was, was really important. And, and the owl man being a narcissist is, comes directly from, you know, from that, because that's like his whole thing, uh, or not a narcissist. I'm sorry. A nihilist, uh, it comes directly from, from that. That's where they say it like very explicitly. And, and I love owl man. In that thing. And if you like Owlman or Batman and you want to see, uh, then you have to pick up issue two because the each issue, as you know, has a four page backup story uh, illustrated by Brian Hitch that I wrote. And each one focuses on a different on on, uh, you know, a past sequence of uh, different one of these characters. And issue two is Owlman's backup Ooh. story. Because Owlman was so popular for a while, DC even gave him his own stuff in the regular universe in the DC comics, he was there. They, they actually seemed to bring him into the regular DC universe. And I was always like, what are they going to do with this guy? He's supposed to be a bad guy. Yeah. He's and great. I mean, I, I, I mean, I love Batman, but like writing an evil Batman is really fun. <laughs> I, I see. I have to tell you, James Woods, whenever I, Owlman man speaks, I hear James Woods voice. Yeah, I do too. I do too. You know? Yeah, the, those two characters, uh, he and Ultraman, like specifically, really from that Crisis on Two Worlds uh, animated film, like that, it's my guiding light for the two of them. And Superwoman, I don't have one sort of specific guiding light. I kind of, you know, I, I, I've pulled a lot from for her from different places, and she got the most. Well, she didn't get the most drastic um, visual redesign. That actually would be Johnny Quick, but. Um, but I thought she was, you know, her visual redesign and she's an ambassador. Um, you know, one of the things that was interesting with Superwoman was, you know, Superwoman is the evil Wonder Woman, but she's called Superwoman. And then her secret identity, which I believe, and I could be wrong, but I believe the first time this her secret identity was revealed was in Grant Morrison's Earth 2. Maybe I'm misremembering. Maybe it predates that. But she's Lois Lane and she's working at the Daily Planet. And I'm like, this is confusing. <laughs> is she a Superman thing or is this a Wonder Woman thing? So, uh, so she, which is, which I, I was able to sort of make my case not to have her be Lois, uh, but to have her be, you know, uh, we did, and we talked about Diana and we talked about Donna. We talked about a couple of different options for who she might be, but I thought let's make her more concretely, a, you know, related to Wonder Woman. And, and we kind of went in that direction with it um which is fun and so her design she's like she's like seven feet tall she's the tallest member on the team she's got these greek sort of sandal boots and stuff so we right. we put some effort into it well there's two characters i want to particularly focus on is atomica mm -hmm. the sort of the female adam and also you mentioned uh, johnny quick yep. boy does he he looks so different <laughs> well, what's the deal with him i mean he is so radically different from flash well uh, yeah, yeah, he is. So uh, if you remember his original design, which has been updated a few times, but he's got this sort of bizarro helmet, um, and this sort of nondescript costume, really. Um, and so, you know, with him and with a whole bunch of stuff that's been going on in the flash over the last couple of years, you know, DC kind of specifically said like, I think we can do whatever we want with him. So, um, so we talked about it a lot and we talked about it with Kieran who did the design and, and, and so we talked about like, well, it might be fun if, you know, because he is the sociopath of the monsters, which means he does not connect with emotionally with other humans. We talked about a lot about like, well, what is this guy? 
do? He can do anything. Like, why does he have a costume? Why does he have this very weird looking helmet? Um, you know, and then we just started talking about it and we were like, and then once I started to develop sort of his backstory and where he comes from, we decided to, to streamline him. And, uh, and I can't, re- I honestly, I don't remember, but I think it may have been Kieran's idea. Um, uh, Kieran McCowan's the artist on the book. Uh, and I think it was his idea to give him, to give him the lightning bolts as tattoos. And then once we had that, everything else sort of clicked into place because you wanted the, you wanted the lightning on his head, right. Instead of the wing, you know, the kind of the wing thing coming off, like on the flash, like you wanted the lightning on his head. So you're like, okay, well, we'll shave his head. Or I think we had a design where he had a mohawk at one point and the lightning bolts. And was like, that's a little too much. Um, so we just gave him the goggles and like the suspenders. And he's a guy that just, he doesn't care. And he, uh, he's a little, like he sort of sees himself as a little bit punk, I think. Um, but like, it's kind of, it's kind of an act. Like he doesn't, he doesn't really know who he is. He just knows he's not the kid that, you know, that he was supposed to be, you know, that his parents wanted to be when he was growing up. So he has a real identity issue, which honestly we don't delve into, but, but, you know, this is part of the thing. You know, one of the things that's important to me, if we're establishing characters is that, is that you get the sense as the reader, hopefully that when the first time you see them, you know, if we, you know, or, or as you continue reading them, you should have the sense that they've lived entire lives before you met them in these pages. And so, you know, we did a, we did a lot of work talking about, you know, what their past were, you know, where did, you know, where do their hangups come from, all this sort of stuff. Um, and one of the interesting things about that is that none of that stuff is real until it actually makes it to the page. <laughs> right. So at mm-hmm. any point, you know, an editor can come in and be like, I ah, know we were planning on doing that, but we haven't said it on the page yet. <laughs> and then, you know, you you can have that discussion, which is, which is all part of the, creative process um mm-hmm. and is all valid mm-hmm. um and you know frankly like that's for me that's some of the the most fun stuff is just being able to talk talk through this stuff talk with other professionals you know be it the editorials team or you know uh, you know other you know other writers or other creators talk to i talked with with kieran and, and dex you know fairly regularly and and uh and brian had some some ideas of his own and was like well could, could we do what do you think about this and i'm like well I, yeah i think i think that could work like it's not exactly what we were going for but but it works and you know it'll work better if then i make a couple other minor adjustments i think it'll flow really nicely if that's look when when an artist tells you they would rather draw one thing than another it behooves you to listen to them <laughs> because they're going to draw that thing that they want to draw better than they're going to draw the thing you were originally thinking of. Mm-hmm. So if you can make it work, uh, you know, and you're not like breaking the character or anything, like it makes sense to, to do it that way. Uh, well, I can say, I can say as a sociopath, as a speedster is scary. Yeah. Well, the first time you meet him, he's like, he murders like three or four people in that first. Time. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's not, he's not a good, <laughs> He's not a good guy, and that, you know the the reaction to the book has been has been overall it's been really really positive. I've been super grateful for anybody that's willing to give the book a try, and and um, and uh, but you know the the one thing that I've seen a few in a few places is I've seen people be like, I don't have anybody to root for, like <laughs> like there's no good guys in this book, um, and I don't think that's quite true. I mean, granted, there's only one issue out. Right. Mm-hmm. But in the first issue, there are a couple of people who are good. Um, they, they're just not superheroes. Right. It's like Cat Grant, I think, actually comes off really well in that book. She's the editor in chief of the Daily Planet. Mm-hmm. Um, but the other thing that we did, you know, and this, this part of this is going back to the fact that, you know, because I wanted to focus on the crime, the, those crime syndicate characters for those first three issues specifically really hone in on them and spend time with them instead of spending time with, you know, what would be quote unquote, their villains who would actually be superheroes. Right. So I don't have superheroes. The second arc has superheroes that are fighting against them. And you get, you do get some people you you really do get to root for, but, but in that first arc, uh, you know, the, the idea was, okay, this, this has the potential to go like super dark. And, uh, that's not really what I want. Like, I'm not a super dark person. Like, I don't get me wrong. I'm a big David Fincher fan, the director, and he does super dark movies all the time. Uh, and those are some of my favorites, but, 
but I didn't, <laughs> I didn't feel like I wanted to write super dark superhero comics for six months. Uh, I was so. I'm, I hopefully have, we have successfully, and it's not just me, you know, Kieran, I think feels the same way. Hopefully we've been, uh, successful in, in injecting some levity or some light into it, even when they're being jerks. Like there's an element of humor, there's an element of tongue in cheek, you know, here and there. There are certainly some scenes which are intended to be pretty dark. Um, but, but, you know, there's, there's some levity in there, so hopefully, hopefully it offsets that. Well, real briefly, if you would talk about Atomica a okay. little bit, the, the the sadist who's a miniature. I I how's that going to work? Um, yeah. Well, she likes to hurt people. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so so that's it. Now now the way we structured the books, um, you know, I'd reference the backup stories in each one, and and the backup stories you know connect thematically or or whatnot with the lead story of each issue so you know ultraman is really the focus of the first issue and then he has the backup Owlman narrates the second issue and then he has the backup superwoman is you know the sort of the primary and the third issue and so in issues four five and six we really get to meet emerald knight and atomica and johnny quick and and we get into their heads you know quite a bit more um so you know you won't see her being you know super sadist um, okay. in in those first three issues but by the time you get to know her you'll realize that yeah she just likes to she likes to hurt people um, yeah it's uh it's a weird it's a weird thing to be like yeah i'm writing a superhero book and uh one of my main characters just likes to inflict pain mm-hmm. um so uh but yeah that was uh and that really comes you know i i believe she was created by jeff john's and yeah, I think so. Maybe Ivan originally. Rice or David Finch. I can't remember where she originally first appeared, mm-hmm. um, but she was very much in the Forever Evil, um, you know, storyline. Right. Uh, she was around for that, and and um, you know, it was kind of my reading of that material that I was like, I, I think that's the angle with her. And it's never stated overtly, but she's she's not very nice in, mm. in that storyline. I mean, it's really effective. She's really well done. And it was because of, you know, I, I responded to her in sort of a, she makes, she churns my stomach sort of way. Um, but I, but I had that sort of visceral response to the character in those arcs. Um, and so that's why, you know, I sort of petitioned for her on, in, in the group as part of the core cast. That's good in a way because she's another female. That's a good thing. Yes, and she's uh, yeah, and she is also a, a not Caucasian <laughs> diversity. Uh, yeah, which I, I which I mean I'm a fan of diversity, but um, but you know I don't tend to just go like we need a few, you know personal color here. We need a but but you know it it is helpful to have a balance. I mean the diversity is helpful because it 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 does give you a different flavor. It does give you different character beats and um, but yeah. So yeah, that's true too. Okay, well, I'm, I'm going to be watching Owl Man because I still like he's my guy. So I'm going to be watching him. But let me tell you that some of the others scare me. <laughs> so I'm going to be, I know, you know, there's going to be sometimes like when the Joker was in the, a Dark Knight movie, uh, he'd come on the screen and I would go, "Oh, I can't watch. Oh, I can't watch." And and that's going to be what some of these characters will be when I turn the page and I go, "Uh oh." Okay. Well, there, there are some <laughs> things, you know, I mean, I think in some respects, some of the previous uh, appearances and stories are, are even darker than what we're doing. Mm. Um, uh, you know, or, you know, or they're of their time or whatever, but um, I'm actually, you know, one of the things that we, we decided, you know, it was a group decision early on was to not play up sort of, you know, some of the elements you'd see, like, you know, you're not going to see Ultraman crush green kryptonite into a powder and snort it up his nose. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, I live in, I live in rural Kentucky and <laughs> we have, we have issues that I, that in where I live and I'm okay. a little uncomfortable with that kind of thing. And, and, okay. you know, putting a needle in your arm to get your yeah. powers like, uh, ah, yeah. I'm okay pulling back from that type of stuff. So, so we, we pull some of the real world sort of stuff out, which I, which hopefully uh, allows the fantasy to be a little bit more enjoyable on its own. I like to see some of the other DC characters like Ollie Queen gets a lot to do in the first issue, which was fun to see. Yeah. He's, he's still an issue too, at least. Okay. 
Okay, the way you say that, okay. <laughs> okay. I don't kill him. I don't kill him off if that's what you. Oh, okay, yeah, okay, no. okay. No, but oh, he has Lord, he yeah. has one of my favorite lines in the whole series. Oh, he does. Okay, in issue two. Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, I got to watch to and read for that. So that's good. So six issues so far, but it sounds like you've got more in mind for these characters. So I hope we get more than six issues. That's what I'm hoping. Well, it, you know, it's one of those funny things that the more you work with any set of characters, right, well, I don't know. It's true for me. I don't know if it's true for all writers, but um, but the more that I work with with I work with the characters. Yeah, we're coworkers. We we both clock in together. Um, you know, the more that I get to spend time with with characters, I always find that you know I I enjoy spending time with them. And if I don't enjoy spending time with them, like if I'm like this one's really a a, a dud, well, what does that say about me, right? You know, as the, as the writer, like my job is to make sure they're not a dud. Um, so yeah, the more that I work with them uh the more i'd love to do more stories with them i don't think that's you know a priority for dc i don't know um you know i think they wanted to to sort of reestablish it but you know they have so many plans right now they got so much stuff going on that um you know i haven't really talked with them about hey is there a chance we'll do more uh maybe that's a conversation i should have sooner rather than later mm. but um but they have so I'd many like things it. going on because they they rebooted the multiverse like yeah. there's so well, many cool things to do and crime syndicate is definitely one of them but uh but yeah i mean i would i would well, love to yeah why would you go through building a whole earth if you're not going to do stuff with it that's the thing i can't figure that's a good that's a good question <laughs> so yeah, I don't want to. I don't want to. You know, I don't want to say like, oh, there's not going to be more crime syndicate, um, or that I'm not interested in. I would definitely have that conversation. But, um, but yeah, I mean, as far as I know, you know, we always talked about it as a finite thing, but we also always talked about it as like, is there more that we could do? And yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think people get to the end of the six issues, and they tell a complete satisfying arc but i think there will be in a good way right not like not like that wasn't resolved what the heck but like mm-hmm. in a good way there'll be things like oh i wouldn't mind learning more about that or learning more about that thing you know well, maybe it'd be more like strange new worlds i mean if people like pike and they wanted to have they, the clamor came out we wanted more and so they did strange new worlds maybe that'll be with crime syndicate people will get to the end and say you know what i'd like to see more from them well, then, if you're listening to this podcast and you're at all interested, go pick up Crime Syndicate. Make sure you pick up the whole series. It's only six issues. And uh, make sure you clamor on the internet and tell, mm-hmm. tell the powers that be that you need more Crime Syndicate. That's right. That's right. I'll write it. If you, guys, if you guys demand it, I'll write it. That's right. She's like potato chips. You, uh, you, you want more, we'll make more. Now, you mentioned a thing I wanted to get to before I let you go. Yeah. You said there's other prog- uh, other projects you're involved with that we should know about. Tell us what kind of things that we should be aware of that you're up to. Well, uh, uh, I'm trying to think about what I can talk about. Uh, <laughs> so, creatively, I don't think any of my other series have been announced, but I've got three creator owned books that are, that are, that are well into production at this point. Um, None of them have been announced yet, but I've got, there are three that are, that are promising. Um, Okay. Well, let me ask then if we want to follow you and find out about those things, how do we do that? um, Well, on Twitter would, would be probably pretty good. And my Twitter handle is 39 a Andy. So it's, there are two A's there, three, nine, A, and then A and D Y. Um, and I'll say this, like, come, come follow me because I, I, I had a Twitter handle, which was at comic experience, which is still active, but it, it is now for the comics experience, you know, sort of business. And we give tips about, you know, craft writing comics and all that sort of stuff on there, uh, which I do on my own, but I, I literally just like, I like a few weeks ago, maybe two months ago now, I just started my own Twitter handle for the first time. I've been doing the business one for years and, you know, I've got nearly 8,000 followers on that one. <laughs> just started mine. I've got a couple hundred right now um, okay. on mine. So, so come, come follow me. Let's, let's talk about stuff. And yeah, certainly I'll be announcing things there and putting up images. Um, but yeah, we've been, we've been, uh, 
we've been focusing, we started a, a, a printing business, which I think I mentioned to you before the show began recently. So we've been, we've been, we did this essentially for comics creators. Um, back when conventions were a thing, I was having so many conversations with creators about outrageous print costs or, you know, outrageous problems they have with tons of different printers. And I, you know, just kind of for my friends, really, I was started investigating why can't we get better printing at lower prices and that sort of thing. And eventually wound up just starting uh, my own printing business. Um, and uh, it has been great. Uh, we just printed, um, we printed the Kickstarter for curse words, Ryan Brown and Charles soul. We printed um, Scott Snyder and Tony Daniels, Noctera like art book. That was the, the Kickstarter. It's, it's a great book. It's got a cloth cover. It's debossed. It's, You've got this super nice dust jacket. It's it's a really really lovely book. Um, you know, so we do we do a lot of high end stuff like that's sort of our our specialty. But we but we print now for even for small publishers. We print for about six or seven small publishers, um, and we do nice hard covers for them. But we also are doing monthly books for them, monthly comics for them. And and I had no aspirations for starting a printing business. But what I do like doing is helping a friends and b people who are making comics, I like making sure they're not getting ripped off, that they're getting a quality product, that they're able to connect with their fans and making things easier for them. So that, and I've been asked a few times, are you going to start advertising or updating your <laughs> website? And I'm like, no, because we keep doing these things. And then creators go out and they, they tell other creators about it. Like I'm struggling to keep up with the amount of work. Yeah, uh, word of mouth. That's yeah. the greatest advertising in the world. It really is the best. And honestly, that's how comics experience started was, you know, was word of mouth and, 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 you know, we really haven't done a ton of, a ton of advertising in that regard. We do a little bit for comics experience, but even now we still don't have, like, there's not a marketing department, you know? Um, but yeah, 39A, uh, Andy is a good place on Twitter. I'm also on Facebook. Um, it's just me. I don't have like a fan page. It's just Andy Schmidt. Um, and if you don't seem creepy, I usually let you in. No, I, uh, I'm I'm pretty close to I probably need to do a fan page because I think you can have more people. I'm pretty close to the limit at this point. I did a culling not that long ago of people I you know and um but yeah that's that's probably the the best place. But yeah, follow Comics Experience. Go to the Comics Experience website and sign up for the newsletter and you'll definitely you hear about all kinds of stuff. You hear about the stuff that we're that we're publishing, um you know, convention appearances if those ever happen again, which I think they will. I think that those will happen. Hope. Great, great. Well, I, I took a minute here and I signed up on Twitter to follow you. So I, I highly recommend you do that because I'm sure all, all kinds of good things will be coming down the pike. But I got one question I got to ask you before I let you go. Okay. You, you asked me what my favorite Star Trek was. And I would like to know what your favorite Star Trek is. Uh, well, let's see. My Well, I have – all right. So if if it's if we're not limited to the to just the television shows, then I would say mm -hmm. my favorite Star Trek are the first two Star Trek films: Star Trek oh. the Motion Picture and Star Trek II: The Wrath of Khan. Okay, um, which I realize uh, you were you were sort of saying like usually this you know TNG is higher up. Well, usually the Motion Picture is way down on people's list, but I love that movie. I love it. I, and I know it's long and boring, and you know what? Sit through it anyway because it's awesome. I love that movie, and then Star Trek II: The Wrath of Khan. I also love those are two of my like just plain favorite movies. Um, but in terms of in terms of a series, uh, I'm not going to weigh in on Discovery yet because I haven't quite seen enough yet. But I think I I think I would be a Next Generation fan, and then I probably would be Enterprise after that. Hmm. Okay. What do you think of Deep Space Nine? That would be not my number three, and then Voyager. And and the thing is, is like, but here's the, here's the thing: Enterprise. I don't like watch that show and think this is brilliant. Like there, there's parts of Deep Space Nine where I'm like, this is really freaking good. Like from a craft level standpoint, it's probably the the best of the bunch. Um, but I don't. There's something I don't like. Enterprise like almost feels like a guilty pleasure. Like I just <laughs> I just enjoy it. And I don't know if it like it came out at a time in my life where like you know like I don't know if it like nostalgia or something plays a role in it or what, but I just I really enjoy watching that show. Um, 
but yeah, I would say those those four shows though are all quite good. Like that, those you know, for me, there's there's. I mean, of course, there are some bad episodes in there, but like mm-hmm. pound for pound, those are all good shows. That's good. If somebody came along from IDW and said, "Hey, would you like to write a Star Trek comic?" Yeah, I would definitely be up for that. Um, I did write a Star Trek comic. I wrote, I wrote, uh, I wrote really, I guess it was four issues, but it was two stories. Um, so we wanted to do, well, they really wanted to do a graphic novel that included Star Trek two, three, and four motion picture adaptations. Um, or maybe they wanted to do the first six. Man, I can't remember. Yeah, it was the first six because it was like an omnibus size thing. But, you know, and, and, you know, the, the motion picture had been done back, you know, in the seventies by Marvel, Marvel dropped the license because the motion picture was not a big hit. No one picked up the license for Star Trek two because the first one wasn't a big hit. And then when Star Trek two set the franchise back up, DC comics had the license pretty much thereafter uh, for a number of years. So they had the adaptations from back in the day for Star Trek one, three, four, five, and six. But there was never a Star Trek comic adaptation made for number two. So I actually wrote the Star Trek two adaptation. Um, and it came out like 25 years after the movie or whatever. Um, and <laughs> yes, got, I saw that. I remember that. And now. got, and got nitpicked to death by, uh, Star Trek fans, which was really, which was really entertaining. Um, because <laughs> now there were some mistakes that were made that like, I just, you know, uh, you know, when I write something, I don't want to edit it. Right. So I kind of, you know, I kind of handed off the reins, but I think when I kind of handed all the reins off, I think that editor really thought I was going to, I was still going to edit it, but like, I was really trying to do the, like, there should be this distance, like just professional thing. Um, and so I don't think he and I were like seeing eye to eye. So I don't want to blame this on him at all, but, um, you know, there were things where like the, you know, the insignias or the, um, you know, were, were off. So when Captain Kirk walks in, he doesn't have the captain. Insignia. So there were a couple of things like that, which I, which grand, those were mistakes that should not have been made. Um, Mm -hmm. (laughs) But, uh, but I only changed like a couple of things. And one of the things that I, that I thought was really fun, the only like real change I made to the story was um, I never bought because they tell Chekhov when they put the slug in his ear that it drives you, it makes you susceptible. So you'll do what he says, then it drives you insane and then it kills you. Right. Right. And yet for some reason, Chekhov screams, faints, and the slug comes out of his ear and doesn't kill him. Mm-hmm. So in the adaptation that I did, I have bones run over to him and like basically hit him with a flashy thing, right? Like he pulls up like some medical device that causes okay. the, that causes the slug to leave his ear. Oh, okay. So that makes better sense. That was just my one little like rationalization. But the other thing was we we were really limited on page count. So I was like, there's just I'm going to have to cut things. And this was pretty fascinating. So, you know, one of the most famous scenes is the one where the slug goes in his ear. Right. Probably the most famous scene. Right. Um, and uh, I cut that scene. Oh. oh. <laughs> which, which fans didn't like, but <laughs> I did it with purpose. So, okay. so I cut so he goes, I didn't cut the entire scene. You, you were down on, on, on the, on the planet and we meet Khan. And then I, you know, or we see Khan. I'm not even sure. I can't remember now exactly if, if he actually speaks a little bit. He probably does. And then, and then I cut before we get into the whole explanation of the slugs and all that sort of stuff. Cool. Um, and then there's a scene later where Chekhov is like talking to the enterprise and then, you know, in the movie, they cut to where Chekhov is and, you know, Khan is behind him and, you know, he's being essentially mind controlled or whatnot. Right. So in that scene, I never showed where he was and that Khan was with him. So obviously this makes no difference. If you've seen the movie, you know what's going on. But if you haven't seen the movie and you read this adaptation, narratively, it is different, even though the events are exactly the same because you don't know if you just read the comic that Chekhov is going to be mind controlled. Mm -hmm. So when Chekhov sends the message, you have no reason to think that he's being mind controlled. Mm -hmm. So it dramatically, it plays a little bit differently. I was like, well, this is a thing where I need, I know I need to cut some, but I can cut these things, but I can cut them with purpose so that it gets, it's still exactly the same story. I didn't change any of the story, but I changed the way that you might experience 
the story. And Paramount came back and they're like, you can't cut this scene. Like this is the thing. And I'm like, well, okay, hold up. Let me explain. And then once I explained it to them, they were like, that's pretty cool. Uh, <laughs> which I did not expect. I expected them to be like, okay, that, that's a neat idea and all. Now put the scene back in because it's a you know big but they actually went for it, which which I thought was really um cool of them and I appreciated them giving me that kind of leeway. Do you know how rare that is for Paramount for you just change the script and Paramount go, Hey, that works. Well that I think, doesn't happen. <laughs> yeah, I think the key was that I was not changing the story. You know, I didn't go to them and say Chekhov shouldn't be mind controlled. I said the reader won't know that they're mind controlled, so that when you find him and he's like all freaked out, you know, because they find him like in the like you know, if it's creepy when they find him, but you, but you don't know what's going on. And so you, so narratively, like the way dramatically you experience it as a reader is different, um, which, which was fun that they let me sort of play with that a little bit. And then, um, and then the other story I did, I actually co-wrote with my brother. My brother, Arnie is a huge Star Trek fan. Um, and, uh, and so IDW was doing Star Trek alien spotlight issues are usually one issue long and and so i wanted to do one with the cardassians because i just i always thought they were awesome speaking of deep space nine um <laughs> and so i called up my brother uh and asked him if he'd be interested in, in coming up with a story together so he and i had played a this is so dorky this is so nerdy so he and i played the star trek role-playing game together mm -hmm. and he was mm -hmm. the um I, you know, I had the dungeon master, the game master, GM, whatever it would be for Star Trek. I'm not sure. Um, and so he had come up with a whole thing, but, but he and I essentially co-created uh, my Cardassian character that I, that I played or was, you know? And, uh, and so we actually took that character and put him, <laughs> put him into the Star Trek comics. We took my role-playing character and made him an actual in-canon <laughs> Star Trek character. Well, you got away with murder there. I Aren't did. You know, they don't get away. Don't get away with that kind of stuff. Yeah, so that's no, great. that's that's the the it's like the the ultimate nerd dream, isn't it? Right, your role-playing <laughs> game character gets to become a, an actual Star Trek character. But yeah, so it was a it was a one-issue <laughs> thing, and we had a blast writing it. And um, and I remember submitting the, the script to Paramount and they were like, there's like no spaceships in this. Like it's all like military sort of, you know, heist action type stuff. And I'm like, yeah, it's cause it's comics and mm -hmm. people standing around in a room talking to a giant TV screen is super boring in comics. So we're not going to do that in this. And they're like, okay. No, uh, you, you need to do Star Trek again. That's all I can say is that uh, we need more crime syndicate and we need you back on Star Trek. I'll do both. That's I can do both. Yeah. Hey, and, and do them well. That's the good thing about it. Because Crime Syndicate to me is a, I hope it's a big monster hit because I really am enjoying the story. I can't wait for the Owlman issue. That's going to be the stuff. But the, I can't wait to see what these other characters do. Yeah. Um, well, hopefully we hook you. I mean, we intentionally structured it so that, so that the first three issues focused on Ultraman, Owlman, and Superwoman, who are going to be your three most popular, like out of the gate, three most recognizable. Um, but hopefully you buy into them enough that you come back and then we can sort of, I think, uh, surprise you by hopefully surprise you by how much you're also going to enjoy Emerald Knight, uh, Atomica and Johnny Quick. Can't wait. It's going to be great stuff. Well, Andy, it's always a pleasure to talk with you and so many good things that we get to talk about. I really enjoy it. So we'll have to have you back again sometime real soon so we can talk about your other stuff that you're up to when it becomes public. Yeah, absolutely. So we'll talk about those things is what we'll do. So, Thanks, Andy. It's always such great fun. And, uh, you know, I again, buy Crime Syndicate. Number one is out. Get number two, which is coming soon. Make sure you get them. If you can't get them there, get them on Comixology, although the paper copy would probably be better. But uh, just keep it up because I can't wait to see what you're going to do. I, I The first issue really got me. And I'm just dying to see what twists and turns you have for us coming. I'm just sure it's going to be terrific. Well, thanks, Wayne. It's always a pleasure. need dramatic examples to shake them out of apathy and I can't do that as Bruce Wayne as a man from flesh and blood I can be ignored I can be destroyed but as a symbol get the latest from the comics universe news interviews previews and reviews listen to the weekly Wayne's Comics Podcast so you can keep reading your comics
that's it for this episode. Be back next time. I'll have another great interview with an excellent comics creator. Something I'm sure you won't want to miss. But until then, keep reading your comics.